You're tuned in to Down to Earth with Associate Professor Kurt Iverson and Alex Pye. Brought to you by 42 Below. They're keeping our planet pure to keep their vodka pure. One harebrained eco-friendly scheme after another. Be on the lookout in Sydney bars for their eco-soap made from recycled cocktail lemons. Head to facebook.com slash 42 Below for the full story. Proud sponsor of FBI Radio. Professor Kurt Iverson, it has been a long two weeks without our conversations about sustainability, ways we can tweak our city, and our knowledge base just gets wider and wider each week, especially when you're able to invite guests in. Exactly. We're not running out of things to talk about, are we? It's good. Never. Um, do you want to introduce today's special guest, PhD so, yes. candidate? Exactly. We're, um, we're going to get into the clothing that we wear every day. Uh, and think about that as a kind of dimension of sustainable I mean, we're already in, in it. We're not sitting in here in the nude. That's right. We're, we're in our clothing. Just picture it. Um, <laughs> that's no good. So we are very lucky to have Lisa Hines in here with us today. Lisa, how's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good, good. So um, Lisa has just submitted a PhD about sustainable fashion at the University of Sydney, but um, has also written a book um, a few years ago called Sustainability with Style, is a co-founder of uh, Clean Cut, which is a non-profit sustainable fashion council. So very well qualified to be in here talking to us today about her work on this topic. So Lisa, welcome. To We're it. lucky to have you. Thanks. It's my pleasure to come in. And what a broad topic yeah. to be discussing as we're about to find out. Well, that's it. And it's one of those topics that I think is getting more and more attention these days with the kind of stuff about the environmental consequences of fast fashion, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, we can sort of get into both the environmental dimensions of clothing and its production and its consumption today, but also, yeah, as we like to do, talk a little bit about what we can do about it, what different people out there in the world are doing collectively to try and change things for the better. Because most consumers, I guess, know to a point that there are elements to fashion that are bad and we should always be aiming to shop a little bit better, but it's just knowing what is bad and what can actually be done, Yeah, which so is hopefully that- what Lisa will help to explain today. Exactly, which I think can be the first thing we can get into. That's right, like just breaking down even what are the kind of environmental dimensions of clothing and fashion for us. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to fashion, the main environmental factors have to do with um, in the manufacturing process, the amount of water and the amount of chemicals that are used and then ultimately run off into the nearby waterways and ground soil, um, as well as waste, which is something that you really have touched on when you mentioned fast fashion, because the system has sped up to such a point that we're really kind of churning through clothes at a pace that we haven't done before. And so the waste, both after we've worn it, but also the offcuts from the, from the uh, manufacturers themselves mm-hmm. add a tremendous amount of waste to landfill that's just not being recycled in any way. Yeah, and it's an incredibly kind of complex thing to try and make changes in, right? Because it's one of the things that your research has sort of really drawn out as, you know, the interaction between consumption and fashion and style and production and all these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes, we'll hear all these comments um, being made to consumers about, you need to do this, you need to do that. But actually, the whole system has to change together because if we can't find sustainable items out there, well, there's only so much that that an individual consumer can do. So we need to kind of bring all of these pieces of the puzzle together so that we can start to make some actual positive change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it's a, I guess to flip it around, like if you've done work about sustainable fashion, what does sustainability mean 
when we're talking about fashion, you know what I mean? What are the key things that we ought to be looking out for? Yeah, I suppose if you talk about sustainable fashion, it's actually equal parts environment and labor issues at the Mm. moment because sweatshops still prevail throughout the world. Um, Not as much here in Australia, but there's still some going on. Mm. So when you talk about sustainable fashion more broadly, you'll really get a mixture of those two issues. But if we're going to really hone in on the environmental factors, then we're looking at things like what material something is made of. For example, traditional cotton, though it is a natural fiber and can naturally biodegrade at the end of its life cycle, requires so much water and an enormous amount of chemicals. 25% of the world's uh, pesticides are used just to grow cotton. So it's a huge amount of chemicals on that I didn't realize crop. that. I always thought cotton was the good one. I know, and it is. You know, there's no silver bullet. That's mm. the other thing. It's like every mm. material has its pros and cons. Um, organic cotton then becomes better for that particular reason. It mm-hmm. still uses water, but at least it's clean water that's kind of getting yeah. <laughs> getting yeah. put back into the soil as well. Yeah. But then one of the other things that's come up recently is um, the issue of microfibers, which come off of um, all clothing. It's like when you get those little pills and little fluff that comes off your clothes in the wash. If you are wearing synthetic fibers, those are actually teeny tiny particles of plastic that get washed out into the oceans. And so the bulk of the plastic waste in the ocean right now is actually microfibers, but we just can't see it with the naked eye. Yes, I always thought microfibers were from face scrubs. This is the first that I've really thought about that it is from the little like balls that stick to our tracky pants as well. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of coming to light in the last few years and it's an enormous problem that is, again, going to take everyone's input to really solve that one. Yeah, wow. And then, I mean, you just mentioned in passing before even the idea around the production process and offcuts, but like, I mean, I had been reading something, researching the show about different people even thinking about, uh, yeah, how much, as you say, when you're making any given garment material that is grown with all this water yeah. and pesticides, et cetera, just gets tossed away at the end of a process because it's cut off. Yeah, it's somewhere between 15 and 20% of all fabric gets tossed tossed away, um, just kind of gets cut around. You can picture it, a T-shirt kind of mm-hmm. laid out flat, and you cut around the edges, and then that can go to waste um, there's some designers out there now that are really trying to work around that, but the industry standard at the moment is still just to kind of chuck it out and get rid of it. Yeah. And that's that's an enormous um, aspect of textile waste. When we see these huge figures of textile waste, that's a really big part of it that um, is hard to understand if you haven't seen it for yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, like, if we start to, you know, shift our attention into what sustainable fashion might look like, I guess, like, part of the thing, at least for some people out there, I'm sure, is that that just seems like such a sort of earnest, boring idea in itself that fashion's meant to be fun and zany and whatever, um, and that thinking about these issues about, you know, as you say, working conditions, but also sort of environmental consequences of something like fashion seems to be a bit of a disconnect for folks. Is that something that you found when you've talked to, you know, I know you've some of your research has been with just people about their shopping habits and stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um People are thinking about it. It's just it's not necessarily going to be the first thing that comes to most consumers' minds because fashion, it is fun, but it's also functional. Most A lot of people are making these decisions on quite mundane, what can I, what's available for me to wear to work or what's appropriate for my, mm. you know, my lifestyle. And it is a really interesting challenge to figure out how can we, 
get these things going through everybody's minds and not take away the fun and the practicality of buying clothing. You, you mentioned at the beginning of the segment, Lisa, just about the systemic, systemic change that needs to take place. And I think a lot of individuals, when they hear that, they kind of go, oh, that's, that's a tough one. Like how can, how can an individual really sort of um, yeah. help change the whole system? And I think that in terms of environmental issues and a lot of political stuff, you kind of maybe just go oh, shut down. It's, it's, it's a bit hard. But I think what we're going to start to talk about in the second half of the segment mm. today is some solid examples of how individuals are starting to work together and try and tackle some of that systemic change. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a huge groundswell of um, activity in the sustainable fashion movement and, cons- and with consumers that there's so much that we can all do. So. And thanks to Lisa Hines' vast body of work, we're going to start to highlight some of these examples and then hopefully get us just thinking about our um, consumer choices when it comes to fashion and how we can sort of help make more ethical decisions in terms of purchasing. So um, how about we take a pause here, Kurt? Yep. And then uh, we'll get straight back into Down to Earth. This is Down to Earth with Associate Professor Kurt Iverson and Alex Pyre. Brought to you by 42 Below. Keeping our planet pure to keep their vodka pure. Sponsoring FBI Radio. This is Down to Earth. We've already flown into the second half of our fortnightly conversation about sustainability. But just a quick catch up. If you missed the first half, our special de- our special guest today is PhD student Lisa Hines, who's done a massive body of research on sustainable and ethical fashion throughout its entire production process, has been looking at ways that people shop from the consumer, consumer level to the ways that larger and smaller fashion houses operate in terms of how our clothes are made and the way process and who's doing what a little bit better and it's great that Professor Kurt Iverson our host has invited her in to talk about fashion because you know we've just swapped into our our summer season so now is the time that people are kind of thinking as Lisa mentioned earlier as we are always just buying more stuff because the turnover of purchasing of new clothes has just um, skyrocketed so look we have been talking about the different ways that waste is collected during the manufacturing process and now we're probably going to start to look at some more practical examples of just how we can shop a bit more sustainably. Yeah. And so the first thing I guess I'd like to ask about, Lisa, is just about the kind of, you know, reusing and swapping of clothes uh, as one way of kind of reducing consumption. And yeah, these sort of clothes swap parties seem to be a thing, right? That are now growing and everything. So what's going on there? Yeah. Clothes swaps are... um, just taking off everywhere around the country. They're super fun. That's like the main the main mm-hmm. point of it is that we actually all have clothes in our closets that are in really good shape, but we're not wearing them for whatever reason. They don't fit well. They don't go with the rest of our stuff. So there's clothes swaps that are large, you know, organized by kind of city councils or different organizations. And then there's clothes swaps being organized by friend groups. And really the main idea is that for every item you bring to swap, you can take something home and return. Mm -hmm. So there's different systems for doing it. But what it means is like you still get that fun feeling of going and trying clothes on and looking through a rack of things and seeing like 
what you love in the thing and yeah. taking it home and nothing goes to landfill, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lisa, I've, I've found at home that my wardrobe has just reached its most maximum capacity. So the only way that I can bring home newer clothes and add them to it is to take something out or else they just won't hang. So I've always got a bag behind my door of clothes that I'm sort of adding to that I no longer use. And we actually just had an SMS in um, during our pause on 0409 uh, It says, I'm in my room going through a big bag of clothes that my neighbours dropped off right now. So finding some great items like a fluffy purple turtleneck jumper. Some of these items you probably can't buy new in shops right now by the sounds of it. (laughs) (laughs) Purple turtleneck, all right. That's a mental image I'm going to have for the rest of the show now. So I guess as you were were to link it back into what you were saying is if we are always collecting clothes that we're no longer wearing, these clothes swaps are a a way to sort of semi-formalise passing them on to people. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be as simple as that, as a neighbour saying, hey, here's some stuff. We're about the same size. Have a go. Like, have mm. a look through this bag and see what I have. Um, yeah, and then they get bigger than that. But it's, it is just about, like, realising these are still fine clothes. I just don't like them anymore. Because how often do we actually wear something until it wears out? We wear it until something... Um, we, we come to the understanding that it's no longer the cool thing to wear and we want to... Yeah, or we've changed our mind and Mm. thought, actually, that's not me anymore. Or, you know, I don't really, I don't don't like it. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as that. Like, actually, I just don't like it anymore. I bought it online. It's the wrong size. I'm too lazy to return it. That purple turtleneck seemed like a good idea in the store. (laughs) (laughs) Now I've got it home. Oh, no. Yeah, that kind of thing. Because, I mean, I guess our other option there has always been the op shop as well, right? Yeah, Um, and and the op shops are a huge part of being a sustainable shopper or sustainable consumer, however you want to put it. Um, because as many of us know, there's so many amazing finds in op shops if you um, have mm. take the time to just kind of have a gander through the racks and see what's there. And it's also a good place for you to take your clothes that you're not wearing. If you're not going to go to a clothes swap, that's certainly mm-hmm. the next best thing to do. Because I, I don't know if, if um, your listeners would realize this, but even if that particular op shop can't use the items, Mm -hmm. which oftentimes they can't because we're going through such a huge amount of clothes that only like a third to a fifth of the clothes will stay in Australia and be sold in the op shops. But they'll then be sent on either overseas or if they're poor quality, they'll be recycled. So for most of us, that's the avenue to recycle our clothes is through the op shops. Cool, cool. Yeah. So let's get into, there's your reusing in clothes. What about the fact that you know new stuff is still getting made all the time so what's happening there are there kind of labels popping up that are trying to do more to be sustainable and how are they yeah. going are there kind of local things around here in sydney that people should know about yeah there's um there are so many beautiful small designers that have popped up over the past probably almost 10 years now really mm-hmm. and it's still gaining traction and they're doing a multiple they're doing multiple things whether they're choosing organic cotton like i mentioned to avoid those chemicals um, or their... That was a whopping fact, sorry to interrupt, but you see 25% of pesticide sprays being used on cotton, on cotton alone. worldwide. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? When you think of all the food items, not that yeah. I'm promoting pesticides on anything, but that's a huge amount, yeah. a huge proportion goes to cotton. Um, so there are people who are doing that. They're also going and actually meeting the makers themselves, and so they have a very clear and transparent supply chain to the point where they can actually speak to the people in the workshop mm. on a regular basis or usually it's text or sms if they're overseas and it's you know but it's just this different way of forming a relationship with the people who are making their clothes um that that are happening here um 
not well not far from here over in Newtown there's um a place called a social outfit and they first of all they use offcuts from the industry or excess fabric so this is also a common thing with the industries there's excess fabric mm. when they're done making their ranges so they're using it but they're also um, hiring and training refugees in uh, sewing on Australian equipment they typically know how to sew already but training mm. them up on Australian equipment and also working in the retail shop and that's a very local place that you can just go check out yourself. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a great social enterprise. What was that called again? Yeah, the social outfit. Cool. Yeah, yeah. just on King Street. Yeah. And yeah. what about, I mean, what are we going to do about the big brands, I guess? Because there's, yeah, there's that sort of stuff that I guess is, hard, you know, scaling up slowly but surely, but then there are these massive brands that are selling so much Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. And one of the things I learned from both my research, but just because I talk about sustainable fashion to anybody who will listen to me, <laughs> um, is that we can't always take the time to do that research to find the new small brands mm -hmm. as much as I would love for them yeah. all to be found. Um, so if we're time poor, we go to the shopping center and we need to look, you know, we need to get something. There's a few things you can do. There's an incredible app called Good On You is a great name yeah. um, and you can type in pretty much any brand that you can buy here in Australia and it gives you a rating based on environment labor and animal welfare issues and so you can really dial into what yeah. um, is most important to you and see what what they're doing and then make a more informed decision we've had another text message in if you don't mind me interrupting now from Patrick saying if everybody started op shopping and clothes swapping their clothes instead of purchasing new ones would that bring about any repercussions on the economy? I guess it would certainly impact some of these larger fashion houses if we started really pulling back from... Yeah, if we really pulled back, it would impact the major brands, absolutely. I'm afraid I, I certainly don't have the numbers on that, but it would, have a, it would put additional pressure on these brands. They're already feeling a lot of pressure from this kind of movement, whether it's the war on waste, which, you know, mm -hmm. came out a few months ago, uh, the fashion revolution campaign, which happens about once a year. And there's a, a lot of activity every April about people contacting brands that they love and asking them to change their behavior. So I think... And that works? It does work. So do that if, yeah. if you're concerned. Yeah, particularly. Mm. It's particularly working in the labor area, not as much in environment. Mm. So if we can kind of ramp up our our messages on we care about both of these things yeah. equally then that would change but yeah it all, it all plays it all plays a part in how these bigger brands are going to have to react because we're not going to put up with it anymore really yeah. now, once we know this we need to just keep talking about it cuz yeah i mean are there any particular success stories in some of the bigger brands you know deciding that they're going to change their ways as it were over the last yeah, yeah. I suppose the biggest one um, is David Jones, the retailer. They made an announcement in 2015 that they were going to transition to 100% ethical sourcing for everything in the store. So they're still at the beginning, really, of this journey. But you can see it in particular with their private labels. So that's not the mm. big name brands that they're they stock, stuff. but their in-house stuff. Um, you see it already throughout the food their food items, but it's coming into the fashion and textile items as well. And it started really with just asking everybody to agree to a code of conduct that says, okay, we're going to, we're going to adhere to these particular labor and environmental standards. And now it's a matter of following through. So that one I'm really excited about because mm. it's a, it's a shop that almost everyone knows where one is yep. anyway. And you can, it, yeah. you know, if they get there, that will be amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's other little stories. I know I read something in the paper not too long ago about a little public school in the Blue Mountains making a call that their school uniforms were all going to be ethically sourced. So there's procurement sort Absolutely. of campaigns that can happen at schools or, dare I say, at universities. Maybe we should be talking to our own university about these kind of things. So, yeah. Add it to your list, Kurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it is, I mean, it's just another one of those things too, Alex, eh? the way that this kind of relationship between inequality and the environment keeps popping up for us, you know. So, as you say, it would have been a lot of the stuff around the working conditions in the you know, sweatshops in Bangladesh and those horrible fires that happened, etc., that brought some of these things to people's attention. Yeah, and, that's really yeah. where the uh, fashion revolution campaign that I mentioned before, that yeah. came about because of the 2013 Rana Plaza collapse that killed um, 1,100 people in Bangladesh and injured over 2,500 people. And that really highlighted, A, all of the Western brands that are being made in mm-hmm. this particular country and B that they didn't know their clothes were being made there so this lack of understanding of from the businesses themselves of who's making their clothes if they don't know how are we talking the consumers yeah (laughs) yeah and that's really made a huge impact. Well, Lisa Hines, it's been great having you in to talk about this because as often as Kurt and I get asked for fashion tips, yeah, all the time. We we don't people have calling us up all of the answers. Um, Lisa, what was your book again? If people are interested in reading more, it's called Sustainability with Style, and you can get it on Amazon. Super easy. Nice one. Let's put a couple of those apps and organisations that we've mentioned. Um, If you jump to the Mornings Facebook page on FBI 94.5, in just a little while, we'll put links to some of the apps that Lisa has mentioned, such as Good On You, which sounds like a really good way to um, sort Mm. of do a brand search of different clothing items in Australia. Well, I think that's just about a wrap. Thank you very much, Lisa and Kurt. Cheers. You've been listening to Down to Earth with Associate Professor Kurt Iverson and Alex Pye. Brought to you by 42 Below. They're keeping our planet pure to keep their vodka pure. One hair-brained, eco-friendly scheme after another. Be on the lookout in Sydney bars for their eco-soap made from recycled cocktail lemons. Head to facebook.com slash 42 below for the full story. Proud sponsor of FBI Radio. This was produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. FBIRadio.com. 